Welcome to the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. Emma and Joe here. Welcome. Before we dive into today's episode, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can connect with us on social media at ProBookNerds or via email, professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. So we have a fun one today. Our guests are two brilliant horror writers. We are really happy to be joined by Clay McLeod Chapman and Rachel Harrison. Clay is the author of Ghost Eaters, Whisper Down the Lane, and so many more things. Rachel is the author of Such Sharp Teeth, Cackle, and The Return. We're very excited to chat with them about their upcoming books. From Clay, we have What Kind of Mother out September 12th and Black Sheep from Rachel out September 19th. With that, let's get into today's interview with Clay McLeod Chapman and Rachel Harrison. Rachel, Clay, hello, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Hello. Hello. It's so great to have you both here. How are you doing today? Yeah. I'm totally waiting for Rachel. I'm waiting for you. I'm like, Rachel, you go first. You do it. <laughs> Okay, we'll we'll get through this uh, as a, as a group. But to start us both, uh, to start us both off, to start us all off, Rachel, we'll start with you. Could you tell us about Black Sheep, and then Clay, you're going to have to tell us about what kind of mother. Oh, great! I get to go first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so Black Sheep is about Vesper, who is a cynical, prickly girl in her early 20s um she works at a chain restaurant serving nachos and wings to the masses um she's been on her own since she turned 18 when she fled the fanatical religious community that she was raised in leaving behind her home and everyone and everything she knew um she's reluctant to admit she misses her family um because it's not like there's anything she can do about it she's been excommunicated if you leave the faith you cannot go back at least that's what she was told because one day she gets a mysterious envelope which is an invitation to her cousin slash best friend's wedding on her family farm and not only is it the wedding of her beloved cousin but her cousin is marrying Vesper's ex-boyfriend. So fueled by spite or curiosity or probably something more like love, she decides to go back to go back home and go to this wedding. And what unfolds from there, you'll have to read to find out. And you, you have to read and find <laughs> out. <laughs> and then Clay, what kind of mother? <laughs> what kind of novel? Um, what kind of novel? What kind of mother? What the hell kind of book was this? Uh, oh. What kind of mother is all about Maddie? Maddie is a single mom. She's kind of hit hard times in this kind of mid-30s point of her life where she's trying to raise a teenage daughter on her own, has to come home to her hometown along the uh, eastern seaboard. Uh, seaboard? Seaboard? Am I saying that right? My words. Um, Chesapeake Bay. Uh, She's making a living at the moment uh, reading palms. Basically like a a psychic, not psychic. Um, But when she does come home, she reconnects with an old flame 
by the name of Henry McCabe. And Henry McCabe is hitting some really, really hard times. Uh, his son uh, has actually gone missing for five years. The last five years, he has just been disappeared. And uh, it is when these two reconnect uh, and <laughs> Maddie actually reads Henry's palm that a very supernatural, very psychic uh, epiphany hits. Um, and Maddie is kind of sent down a, a, a bit of a downward spiral of uh, a missing persons case that wraps both her and Henry and this whole community. Uh, and basically, readers will be asking themselves the question, what happened to Skylar? Little, little Skylar. Oh, and the atmosphere alone, just <laughs> that description took me right back into it. It's, <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's so hot and humid here in Cleveland that while reading it, I was like, Ooh, I, I feel it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm in it right now. <laughs> it is a, it's a humid book. It's a sultry Southern Gothic book. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> so both of your books have the readers asking themselves a lot of questions, I think, while reading it. And I'm interested to know where both of these books came from. What was the initial idea that sort of evolved into both Black Sheep and What Kind of Mother? And we will start with you again, Rachel. So the initial nugget of an idea is kind of spoilery. So I will hold that back. But I think this this isn't about the pandemic, but it's a very much a pandemic novel um, because I was, we had a lot of time to think, too much time to think. And the world got very cynical. There was a lot of doom scrolling, a lot of, you know, people being like, this is the worst time to be alive. The world is ending. Everything sucks. Like <laughs> just a lot of hopelessness. And, um, and I, I think a lot of us just were sitting in that for a long time. And so I was thinking a lot about, you know, is, does everything suck? Is there any hope in humanity? Um, and then I was also thinking a lot about, um, nature versus nurture. I am at the age now where some of my earliest memories of my parents, they were, you know, 34 when I was, you know, three or four. So it's kind of interesting to think about your parents as people <laughs> when you hit a certain age. And um, I found myself repeating certain patterns of behavior that would kind of just freak me out, <laughs> like even certain stances, like how I stand, how I move inflections you kind of notice these things um and i don't know if you've ever seen those progressive insurance commercials about becoming your parents <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh those hit <laughs> i don't know why they get me every time like i laugh like <laughs> fall out of my chair laughing at those commercials for some reason um but yeah i was thinking a lot about becoming my parents <laughs> and in in good ways and in not so good ways and just kind of monitoring my behavior. So um, Black Sheep really came out of me wondering about faith and hopelessness and nature versus nurture. And yeah. 
That's so interesting. You said that because I do think that's a great tie in to Clay to ask you about your book, but also that something that I'm so aware of right now as a parent to a small child, things that I want to make sure that I do that my parents did and things that I make sure I want to do differently. (laughs) It's very bizarre. (laughs) But Clay, what about you? Where did the idea come from for what kind of mother? Oh man. Well, as the, the parent of two boys, you know, I'm just, you know, every day is kind of like, how did I ruin my kids today? Like, what what did I do today that basically just like destroy my children's future of happiness? And uh, it's, it's amazing because, you know, and I'm being a little silly, cheeky, but, you know, in the, the writing of what kind of mother, uh, I have two sons and the youngest uh, has kind of begun to explore uh, that that those kind of developmental milestones where, you know, most kids are supposed to be type A, but our son is a little bit type B and, you know, navigating everything from developmental benchmarks and, you know, teaching and proper schools and uh, prescriptions and, you know, just the whole lot of like, oh my God, this is some terrifying stuff. And uh, it seemed like a wonderful opportunity for me to exercise everything uh, that made me panic of like, I am just making all the wrong choices as, as a, a parent. Um, but that, that is the writing of it. The, the idea of the book um, was uh, I, I just had this, that kind of what if, like what if a non-psychic person had a psychic, an actual psychic epiphany? Like what, what if, you know, because we've all been, to those palm readers, you know, you're walking down the street and you see the kind of neon sign in the storefront window. And, you know, maybe you believe, maybe you want to believe, maybe, you know, I, I'm not making any judgments against whether or not it's real or not, but like the, the idea that there is this one individual who is not emphatically is not a psychic, uh, has an actual (laughs) psychic connection and what what does that do to them like how does that change their their worldview and of course like just you know embarking upon research and reading like you're you're suddenly kind of like in this amazing uh rabbit hole of like i read a lot of sylvia brown and like you know you know long island psychic and like you know going just basically kind of doing the the research of you know who today is is making a living whether it's lucrative or not, um, as, as someone who can kind of forecast, broadcast your, your future and your happiness. And, uh, that, that kind of led to some more kind of true crimey areas. Uh, you know, I was really fascinated with the idea of, um, those psychics who go to police departments and basically say, I, I am connected to a missing person. And I, you know, I hear you have a missing person and I would like to lead you to that missing person. Um, and then Nicholas Sparks, I, I, uh, I just had to say like, you know, I read safe Haven at either the most inappropriate time or the most appropriate time, because that was like, (laughs) that just sent me, sent me, you know, off and running. (laughs) I mean, Emma, you got to ask. So we're (laughs) skipping ahead because I was going to ask you about this, that you mentioned what Safe Haven was one of the books that was invaluable to you during the process. I mean, can you elaborate on that a little bit more? (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, so I, I read Safe Haven 
And it's my it's my first and only. I'm going to cop to it. It's my first and only Nicholas Sparks novel. I've I've seen the Notebook. I've seen trailers of movies, but like there's like I read Safe Haven. And are we allowed to curse on this? Is that is that? Yes. It was batshit. It was like <laughs> utterly like what am I reading? This is amazing. And I it was like are all Nicholas Sparks novels like this? Like there was. There was something so like what I like, I I will cop to it. Like I starting that book off, I was like, I'm going to read this and like be very critical and very judgmental. And then like by the end, I my jaw was just on the floor of like I was just this is astounding. And, uh, you know, it, it's cheeky, but like with the pitch for what kind of mother we say, oh, it's a Nicholas Sparks novel gone off the rails. Um but that was the idea, like if Nicholas Sparks can kind of like take two people who have like lived a lot of their life, have made a lot of mistakes and like, you know, are are basically broken people, broken individuals, two heartbroken people, and they reconnect and then they find one another at just the right time. And, you know, that that idea, that kind of initial concept was was kind of the guiding one of the guiding lights for this. And uh Maybe I, you know, I want to, I want to give, you know, Nicholas Sparks his his due and say like I, this is nowhere near <laughs> to his caliber. Um, but I just I wanted to write a Nicholas Sparks novel, but I just wanted to lead foot it. Like I just wanted to like, like veer off of the rails and just like psh, crash into that North Carolina river. <laughs> That's such a good way to put it. Just Nicholas Sparks foot to the floor <laughs> and Thelma and Louise right off the cliff oh God, into the yeah. river. Totally. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Hold my hand and we'll go over the ridge together. I mean, what better answer is there than that? But just like you, oops, read a Nicholas Sparks. And then you had to, <laughs> you had to do it your way. <laughs> oops. I did it again. <laughs> Um, now you are both, and I'm going to make a, a very broad but very true claim: uh, instrumental in bringing the horror genre into a new life and into the mainstream. Because both of your works in the last couple of years, I mean, truly, uh, horror has not seen this amount of love, and I'm so excited for it. But what inspired both of you to get into this genre, into horror, into gothic horror, all of that? I would love to know. Clay, can you start us off? Sure. I, I feel like the can dancer is always like, I had that babysitter who exposed me to like put Halloween. Who answered on. the phone and the guy was inside the house. <laughs> I mean, that, that story was definitely that urban legend of like, you know, the calls are coming from the, you know, the attic. Like that, that was my childhood. Like I loved those movies and those stories. And, you know, I was the, I was the total weirdo kid growing up, like a single mom had, you know, she was raising me on her own, had a lot of time on my hands, uh, left to my own resources. And like, I created a very kind of internal world. And um, because I was exposed to horror at a potentially inappropriate age, like that, that became kind of an outlet. And uh, I, I don't know, I chased that dragon of like, just wanting to find the next scary thing and the next scary thing. And that led to books and that led to, you know, uh, telling my own stories. And, um, you know, it's, it, 
it, and it led to finding Rachel. Like it's, you know, I, I feel like <laughs> you could read the, re- the, the, the return only once. And it, it was such an epiphany. Like, you know, I, I feel like that is one of those books that I'm going to hold on to forever. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's wonderful company to keep. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Rachel, what, what inspired you? What brought you to us? <laughs> um. Well, I'm kind of the opposite of Clay because I ran away from horror when I was a kid. It affected me deeply. Like if I ever saw a scary picture in a book at the library or um clip of a scary movie, even like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, um, it would haunt me like for months. And so I always thought I didn't like horror. Um so I stayed away from it for a really long time. And I really, I mean, I always wrote, um, but I really got into it when I was in college. I was a screenwriting major. Um, and my sophomore year, my screenwriting club put on a script contest and it was a horror script. So I wanted to participate. So I started to um, watch more movies. And my roommate at the time was a huge horror fan. So um, that's when I started to really get into it and realize, yes, it makes me feel a lot and it deeply affects me, but that's not a bad thing. Like that's actually a good thing to feel this much and to have it stir so much emotion and just visceral reaction. Um, And so that's really when I got, when (laughs) at first into it. And yeah, and then it took me a while to, I wrote speculative short stories for a while. And then I wrote The Return. And then I met Clay at Comic-Con and he had just written the remaking, which is a very brilliant book. Um, And yeah, we've been on this kind of book of year journey together ever since. It's so interesting to see that kind of like the the two opposite perspectives of running toward running away but like where that love you know kind of comes back and right now you're on now you're on a matching trajectory a parallel path mm-hmm. and we're putting you on the same podcast as well so you have to talk about these things we're with each other <laughs> <laughs> um but i will say so like i don't really read horror uh, and Joe knows this and listeners of the podcast know that I uh, firmly stick in like a romance vein. Um, but I will read both of the books that come out from you, you two. Um, so that's the kind of horror I'll read. I don't really know what that means, but when I say it means text, you have impeccable taste. That's that's what <laughs> exactly our text chains lately have just been like, oh, my gosh, what? <laughs> I mean, when I got to Rachel's kind of first twist, Emma had already (laughs) finished the book and I went, oh, that's not the religious cult I was expecting. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it was funny because Rachel, with your book in particular, I feel like the less you know about it, I don't want to say the better, but like it packs more of a punch, the less you know going into it. Um, So it's been challenging because there are a lot of questions we want to ask, but we also don't want to give anything away. We want people to just go read it, like sight unseen, just go read it. Um, Speaking of sort of those twists and format and things that you both do in these books, there are some really interesting choices that you each make with 
um, even just the visual style of the book. So like font, the page breaks, uh, Clay, in your book, there are some like images, there's some water images, although I haven't seen it in the final. I just know in the advance. So I, I hope and think those are the, the same in the final. I'm interested if those sort of choices come afterwards after you've written the story or if that's intentional while you're writing when you sort of set those page breaks or those shifts. Is that like part of the story or is that a lot of editing? And I'll start with Clay because I asked you specifically about the water images. Um, I mean, the images are, that's certainly all Quirk, uh, my publisher. And, and Quirk Books is phenomenal where the the kind of design and the, the the kind of layout and the packaging of the book is always something that they're very mindful of. Um, and I feel very fortunate that like, <laughs> I never, I never know quite what it's going to look like until I look, I, I have the book in my hand and it's always this kind of pleasant surprise because they don't tell me everything. Um, so like I, I open up the book and I'm like, ah, like, look, look at this. And like, oh my gosh, it's got Sandy font and like, oh, water. Um, so, you know, definitely in terms of the packaging and in terms of the, like the design of the book, that's, that's all quirk and I love them for it. Um, the page breaks and the, the kind of the way that the, the text itself is, uh, structured, uh, that, that I, I guess I could, I can take credit for that, or at least between me and my editor, um, where, you know, we're always, you know, <sighs> A lot of the text for this, I, when I'm writing a book, I, I try to like do the diagram of it. Like, what is the visual shape of the book? Like, how what does the book look like? Um, and with previous books, like, you know, Whisper Down the Lane, it was kind of this volley. So it would always be this like kind of like jagged, like back and forth, back and forth, lightning bolt kind of image. And um, <laughs> with Ghost Eaters, the last book before this one, it was kind of a up and then a, all the way down, like just kind of like a vroom. Um, and then with this one, it, 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 it kind of takes a, the shape of, um, there's this other character, Henry, Henry McCabe, and, uh, his narrative kind of manifests itself at the kind of heart of the story, but it's, it's Maddie's story, her kind of narrative that, that kind of encases it. And, and you know, so in my mind, like the, the original shape was one narrative was kind of a, a skeletal structure and then you had this this kind of nested doll narrative inside uh that that kind of affects what's what's on the outside um so yeah like i guess you could say like how many licks of a tootsie roll tootsie pop does it take to get to the the center of a tootsie roll and for this one it was maddie's narrative to then get to henry's narrative because I'm still just struck by the first time that you see the page break that just says duck blind. And that's the only <laughs> word on the page like that. That still just sits with me. And and so I really appreciate that that kind of layout to have yeah. that. What is the visual, you know, even where you're starting from and then the like, how how do I tell yeah. this story, but still hit you with it? Because there's yeah. that new visual love. <laughs> it's so I, I'm going to lose points for this, but I have, I'm sorry. I have to say like, that's, that's just me trying to do Christopher Walken in the dead zone. Like it's such a, like, like I just wanted that moment of like psychic epiphany. Like, it's, it's like, you know, like having that's a great. moment, <laughs> like how do you do that on the page? It just like take everything else away. And it's just one word. Boop. It worked. 
<laughs> it does. It works so well. And so Rachel, for you as well, like there's a lot of italics or sort of like different fonts for signifying different things. How, where did that come into the process? So the italics, I think are memories. Um, and so it, it wasn't at, as I like clay that you visualize the book that's really cool um I don't do that I'm not that thoughtful <laughs> um, I just kind of sit down uh, <laughs> see what happens um for me it's more functional um just I I need to be conscious of of page breaks and chapter breaks or else I would just like write a whole book and be like oh <laughs> it's just one big blob um so i just kind of make sure that they're it's kind of evenly it helps with pacing to have breaks so um for me just like it's just the the functional like oh yeah people are going to read this i <laughs> make it easier for them um so yeah, but now now I'm thinking now I'm like I want to visualize the next one. I want to see its shape. <laughs> right. I need, the thought I, of a shape to the narrative is yeah, is such a cool idea. Genius. But I I'm now I'm even more anxious to get my hands on the actual physical copy of what kind of mother cuz I I haven't seen all these pretty images and Quirk just had some intern like shovel uh, like scoop of sand into each oh. copy and just like you open it up and like this is a really weird surprise. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they have scented each page with Old Bay and then when you crack it open, it falls out of the spine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rachel, we're going to switch to you for one second and talk about Black Sheep and then Clay, we're going to come back to you with some targeted what kind of mother questions. Rachel, how did you land on the religion in this story over a fictitious cult? If you it can answer a, that without it is spoilers. A fictitious cult. Well, yes. Tr- <laughs> you you got me there. You got me there. <laughs> uh I think part of it's tied to the the kind of nugget of I of the idea I had for the book. Um, but also I wanted it to be something fictional because um I I am not religious, but I respect people who are religious and who have faith and who worship. So I didn't I didn't want to take anything rooted in reality and and have it be, you know, used as the backdrop for my messy violent horror novel. Um so that's kind of how I landed on it and also some experiences and questions from my own childhood that I was trying to work out, um, how I was raised and experiences I had in with religion when I was growing up um, kind of informed the religion in the book um, with a sprinkle of just some horror imagination, like just some horror fun. So yeah, just kind um, of blend it all up into yeah, something that should neutral bullet and yeah. <laughs> be inoffensive to all kind of thing. Just a, yeah, a good, a good spook. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it was a it was a balance trying to get something that felt rooted in reality, but was also just like this is obviously like 
a little bit of campy horror fun. Right. My favorite word as of late, all the books they seem to be picking up are camp or camp adjacent. (laughs) You kick it up to 12 and just Just go go for for the ride. (laughs) Yep. And then from the beginning, we know that Vesper is estranged from her family and senses dread in the air when she comes home to find that wedding invitation you mentioned earlier. Why does Vesper keep coming back? I feel like that's kind of her story throughout. She keeps coming back. I think for as as prickly and as cynical as she is, she's wounded. And I think all of us want love and acceptance, especially from the people who are meant to love and accept us. It's one thing if you go out into the world and people and you're rejected. If you're rejected from the people who are closest to you and you know your parents who are supposed to love you and accept you no matter what, she's nursing a really deep wound. And I think a lot of her cynicism and is like a protective shield. And she has a lot of logic, but logic doesn't always win out when it comes to your heart. And so she goes home because she wants to be loved. And I think Part of her is hoping that she gets love and acceptance at home and especially from her mother, um, who she, you know, claims to, you know, admits is an ice queen and whatever. But you often want the approval of the people (laughs) who, you know, give you are the coldest to you. So, um yeah, I think that's why she keeps going back. And, you know, she loves she loves her family, um, her mother, too. But, you know, her aunt and uncle and it's home. So as complicated as it is. Like, of course, you want to go home and uh, like we often do things over and over again, hoping that it'll be different. Even when we know it won't be so. um I think that's why she goes home. And so it's easy. I think, you know, there's a, it it was tough to balance in her because the book is from her perspective. So it's in her head. It was tough to balance her not being aware or being in denial by trying to let the reader know, like, she's obvious, like, she's not only going home out of spite or out of curiosity, she's going home because she wants them to love her. Um, but she, like, she can't admit that to herself. So, um, I hope through the narrative, it's, it's, it's clear and it's relatable that, you know, for as tough as she is, you know, she still has that, that soft center. Oh, without a doubt, the energy of, I'm going to decide that anger is the primary emotion that, that rage and wanting to get back. But then, right, you can you, you can immediately relate and be like, oh, well, if I look at this for more than two seconds, I know I'm really just a hurting little child who <laughs> wants everyone to love me. Okay, got it. <laughs> and I promise we're not just doing this because we have you both on, but both of your books tackle really complicated family dynamics and all of those different relationships between, you know, parent and child and sort of different generations of that. You see that in both of your books. And so we are going to shift gears just a little bit and ask Clay 
I'm interested to know, and you talked about this a little bit, but as a parent, was it difficult to write some of the parts of this book? There are some very scary moments, you know, that Henry goes through and Maddie as well. And uh, for me as a parent to read, there are a few moments where I was like, Ooh, that's <laughs> stressful. Um, so I'm wondering if you felt any of that sort of stress or, or tension when you were writing that, or if it was sort of removed. Uh, no, absolutely. Like I'm just casting my kids in my own personal horror movies. And like, there's going to come a, a day, hopefully a long time from now where they'll maybe pick up one of these books and they'll be like, dad, what the hell? You're really, that this happened to me, like me, not happened to me, but like, you know, like that there's that, that feeling of like, they, nothing terrifies me more in this world than the idea of kissing my kids goodbye and letting them out into the world. And the world just eats them. Like it just, this, this, this world <laughs> we're living in is just truly the most terrifying thing to me. And like, that is every day. And then I have to sit here and write. And what is the thing that's going to come out of me? But that fear. Um, and this one hewed really close to home in ways that a lot of maybe some of the other stuff doesn't. And that's that's just because, you know, as a family right now, like the things that we're going through, like it's just it's really hard to navigate like raising a kid in this in this day and age and um you know i you know my wife is gonna kill me for this but like i had no outlet for it like i had like what was the place for me to kind of put all of that fear you know my wife and i would talk about it and like this is this is what we're going through right now and this is intense this is tough um but the book for better for worse became my place to like blah you know and and it let it all out and a lot of it is kind of like tang without the water. Like it's just like unfiltered, undiluted, un, unencumbered id of just pure, you know, parental angst um, to the point where like that, that Henry narrative is just like, what is the most, like, what is the most nightmarish thing that I could personally think of? It's that, like, that is, that is my nightmare. I'm like, yeah. So I'm glad that it wasn't just me that felt stressed and tense. <laughs> like it was also part of the writing process. Um, but yeah, it's tough. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot, as we've yeah. talked about, going on in the world uh with all of this. And I did see um play in your acknowledgments. You did say that Rachel was a beta reader for this book. So I wanted <laughs> to talk about that for a little bit and just ask like. Rachel, what was that like to read early drafts? And what do you each look for with your beta readers? So I am a huge fan of Clay's. I'll read anything he writes. Um, I It's hard because I can't really remember the early draft because now I've read the most recent one. It was um, awful. That's the, no, just to remind you, it was awful. It was not. Um but I do, I have a distinct memory of him calling me and tell and pitching me the book. And I remember it because earlier in this conversation, you were talking about the the psychic. And I remember you pick like that phone call and just being like, that sounds incredible. Um, and so it's really cool to get to see the kind of life of the book um, from inception to completion. Um, and I think beta readers trust, just trust 
Um, we've actually already read our, <laughs> our books coming out next year. We've already, Clay's the only person who's read it so far. So, um, and I've read his next one. So, um, yeah, I think trust is probably the most important thing. Trust for honest feedback and also that they won't say, laugh you out of the, <laughs> at the park. I mean, I'll Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place. The sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com. That, that, so I'm a fan of Rachel's work. And, you know, for me, where I'm, where I'm coming from is this idea of like, oh my God, I have this, this, like this private line to a amazing writer whose work I admire and to the extent where like, I, you know, I was talking about this with someone else. Like I, when I read the return, she like reading the return gave me permission to write like ghost eaters. Like it's, it's like, had it not been for those characters in the return, I don't think I would have given myself the permission to try to write the characters that I wrote in ghost eaters. And there's like this odd dialogue whether it's actually between Rachel and I, like there's there's like a, a, a kind of conversation happening uh, from her books to mine that you just don't, you don't get that that often. Like that's that's like a sacred thing. And, you know, from the moment I met Rachel in 2019, oh, cool. when we were, when we were at New York Comic Con on a panel for five people, um, we, uh, like it, you know, that was like a, a kind of beginning of a, a, a God, a, such a friendship that like, you know, beta reader is almost kind of downplaying it. Like Rachel is like a first responder. She has like, with what kind of mother and with our, with this next book, she, she is the, the first eyes before my editor, before, <laughs> before anyone else. And like, that is a, that is no small ask. And I, and it's basically like coming to her, like limping, you know, carrying this, like, this, like, like raw mass of a manuscript and just being like, what is this? And, you know, a couple of weeks later, a month later, <laughs> Rachel responds with like, here, you know, I have, 
I've come back and I have, this is, this is, these are my thoughts. And it's like it, that, that first conversation with someone who has read something and nobody else has read it. You, you like, I myself have not read it. Like, I don't know what it is. And you just need the conversation with someone who you trust and who is not going to protect you. Like they're there to like, give you the tough love and, and articulate the experience of reading something that, that nobody either should read or, you know, or will read what it is like that, that this is like, we're going on a, a path here. And, um, I, you know, Rachel's feedback is so invaluable, uh, because she protects my editor from that read and, uh, you know, every subsequent reader, uh, but like to run into that burning building of a book and somehow save me, carry me out, you know, <laughs> all sooty and, uh, you know, burnt it's it's not fun um but she does it it's fun <laughs> i think part of my job is to to try and convince clay of his talent um but i will say i don't think i would still be writing if like i didn't have clay to bounce things off of and to um have someone in your corner who's gonna who's doing the same thing that you're doing um because i think it can be lonely and i remember after the return came out just feeling like what am i doing and what's normal and what am i like what am i supposed to do <laughs> and is and I'm feeling something. Am I supposed to be feeling this as a, you know, as a writer? And what am I supposed to be doing? And having somebody to just bounce things off of, I think is invaluable. And I think for, for any aspiring writer, finding your people is, is extremely important. <laughs> we need it. We need it. Right. Community is never not going to be an important thing. And it's so wonderful to listen to the two of you talk about this like this beautiful relationship and i know emma and i are both dying in the background of like <laughs> they're they're on a book a year cycle they're working these out together oh my gosh <laughs> how do we get our hands <laughs> we're just grubby little book goblins yeah. who are so excited to know that you two are <laughs> well already already in process of the next yeah. the next big one We'll see you same time next year. Perfect. Um, <laughs> let's just make this recurring. I'll send the invite out now. <laughs> yeah, every fall. Although we do, I mean, we do this certainly. Like both of your books are out in a few weeks and we're sitting here like, but wait, what's next year? <laughs> right. We've already finished them. They haven't hit the public yet. And we're both like, okay, so when can we read like, the next one? Because I don't know if I can wait any longer. I know. More. We're ready for 2024. Uh, that's exciting. And we will be asking you about that momentarily yes. if there's anything you can talk about. Right. Um, we, we know it's got to be early and, you know, you can only say so much. But As long as our editors are still talking to us, I think that's always... <laughs> Are you still waiting? I'm still waiting. I'm still I'm waiting. waiting. Yeah. I'm still waiting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why it's important for, for Clay and I to have our friendship because we're like, you heard anything? Nope. Okay. Nope. All right. <laughs> we just. I guess we'll, we'll keep waiting. <laughs> yep. We're, we're doing our, are we doing okay? Yeah. Yeah. We're doing okay. <laughs> cool. Hold, hold down the fort. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Um, Rachel, I have to ask, 
Constance is a scream queen. Uh, she's in cult classic horror films. Do you have a favorite person in film or a person in the genre who you pulled inspiration from for Constance? I didn't pull, like, I didn't envision her as a particular person, but I guess, mm-hmm. like, you could go with, like, a Nev Campbell, yeah. you know, Jamie Lee Curtis kind of level scream queen. Um, yeah, I did. Honestly, I kind of also saw her as Rachel Vice. I guess I have like a Rachel Vice <laughs> obsession because that was my in for the character of Sophie and Cackle. Um, but I just think like, I don't know, I guess I just really want her to approve of me. <laughs> I just kind of like write her in my books. Um, yeah. Somebody like Rachel Vice. <laughs> if Rachel Vice was a screen queen. Perfect. We love it. <laughs> I, I have to ask, I'm gonna interrupt. Did you have you seen Dead Ringers yet? The TV series? No, I or? haven't seen it yet. Oh my god. Oh my god. The the love is real for Rachel okay. Vice. All right, I'll have to watch that one. Because she plays twins, right? Yes. It's like double the vice. Yes. <laughs> Twice <laughs> everything the vice. you're looking Twice for. The Twice the vice. <laughs> <sighs> That's too funny. Um and then Clay. Uh, not only is your book a Southern Gothic, you also have that kind of folk horror twist with folk energy and kind of like folklore inspiration. I always find like a magical pull. What was your first exposure and what kind of kept you intrigued in the folk space? You know, I was going to say Wicker Man, you know, if we're we're talking like pop culture, but you know, I saw... I would argue, like, as far as kind of Americana uh, folk horror, like, I, I think Texas Chainsaw Massacre, oddly enough, is its own kind of version of folk horror to the extent where, like, I saw that way, for, like, that was one of the first and, like, that that kind of seared its way in. Um, but, you know, I've I've retconned it as folklore, but, like, you know, growing up down south, like, we would... We would always have those those kind of those stories, like the 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 kind of Blue Ridge Appalachian folklore of like Taylor Poe and like you know like um, I just I kind of grew up hearing those stories and those urban legends, um, and they kind of baked their way in little by little. But like I maybe maybe Wicker Man is like ah this is what folklore is, but like before that like you know the the chainsaw was was Revan. I mean, yeah, that, <laughs> I, I think you're spot on to say that like that is a version of Americana folk because there have been so many iterations of it. And because if someone said, oh, no, this was a real, you know, if this was a real thing that happened, yeah, you'd, you'd buy it. At least some part of you that like child, that child part of your brain would always go like, no, Leatherface is coming for me. Yeah. But I mean, I, I feel like folk horror I feel like a definition of folk horror has always been yeah. uh, a group of people from some urban area travels towards a more rural, remote locale and clashes with a local community who follow a very specific belief system that once they are kind of like sucked into that world, uh, there's no escaping it or that their their lives are kind of irrevocably changed and it's because of the customs the religions the 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 way of life of that region 
And, you know, that if if we're going by that definition, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is total full core, whether it's got, you know, wicker men in the backyard or not, but it does have a lot of bone, you know, furniture that I think like totally <laughs> like plays in. Um, but like, yeah, like I think uh, what kind of mother is of that kind of ilk of you know, coming home, coming to this this location and the location itself and the people there and their belief systems in uh, the region itself. Like it like there's there's something to be said about like this particular location having its own belief system and how that that kind of plays into everyone's the the, the kind of locals day to day. And so this is the perfect time, I think, to bring us all back together and ask you both some questions as we sort of wind down our time together. With horror, I'm interested to know how you both decide when to bring in supernatural versus keeping the the scary things more ordinary. Um, And we'll start with Rachel. I think I always go supernatural. Uh, like all my books go supernatural. Um, I think because it's more fun for me. <laughs> um, and I just want to have fun when I'm writing because I think that makes it more fun for the readers. Um, but I do like to, like, if I'm the purpose of the book is more to scare, um, which I think the return for me, it was like intended to be a scary book all my books i think have scary parts but um in the return it was about withholding and making the reader wonder what's supernatural and what what else might be happening um and to an assert to a certain extent the same with black sheep um where i withhold so the reader has to wonder like what the hell is going on here and what's coming they don't know what's coming (laughs) With Cackle and Such Sharp Teeth, I think the Such Sharp Teeth says on the cover that it's a werewolf novel. Like, it's not. You know it's coming. So I think it depends when I start out writing. Like, I ha- I usually have a concept, and then I have to figure out, like, the right protagonist and vehicle to s- tell the story and how I want to tell it. So um, it depends on those two things about when I'm going to introduce the supernatural element, what that element is going to be, if there's going to be a question about whether that's real or not real. Um, but for me, I'm always going supernatural, maybe. <laughs> you go wrong. <laughs> yeah, and Clay, what about you? It's so funny. I I wrote a book once called Whisper Down the Lane, which was about the satanic panic era. And like it, there is no supernatural. I think of it as a horror novel. But like, there was this, you know, you're, I, I think you're always kind of in dialogue with your readers and whether that's <laughs> reading good read reviews or just kind of like having conversations with people directly. But like the kind of because I, I always feel like I'm looking for a certain consensus of like thought behind these books. Like, how do, how are people feeling about this book? And one thread for Whisper Down the Lane was like, oh, it's not horror. This is a thriller. This is, you know, this is more like a psychological thriller because there's no supernatural. And I was like, oh man, that sucks. That like it's like I I think of this as a horror book, but just because there's no demons or devil, like that, that it, it kind of 
and like decidedly takes place within the minds of its protagonists that like that that somehow negates its horror honorifics and that was a little bit of a bummer to me so like my response was like oh you you want you want supernatural like oh all right i'm gonna give you and i wrote ghost eaters and was like oh right like that was kind of like you know like like the the response to the previous book and then the response to ghost eaters was like wow there's a lot of supernatural in that one like where you know but i don't like these characters like these characters are not likable people and i was like oh man like now i have to write likable people um but put them in like supernatural scenarios so like with uh i'm sorry what kind of mother was like we're gonna have a, a, a moment of grounded you know we're gonna get to know these people we're gonna like breathe into their lives and then the supernatural kind of like takes over and then like all this shit hits the fan and then like everything we're off to the races and so I don't know what the conversation will be here uh, after what kind of mother, but like it, I, you know, I withheld, withheld, withheld. Maybe there is, maybe there is, maybe there is. Um, but then like, you know, 50, like halfway through, it's like, okay, now we're now, now this is what the book is. And it's, it's, you know, it's all downhill from there. Yeah, we're off to the races with the supernatural stuff. But um, Joe and I always vote yes for the supernatural. So that's perhaps why we keep coming back to your books. Probably why we're here right now. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rachel, we got to write more supernatural. We Please. Spooky stuff. Well, lucky, luckily, the next ones are supernatural. So <laughs> You're sticking to your, your pattern. So, yeah. <laughs> so we don't have to go back. Can you imagine if they were like, no more, everybody hates supernatural. Then we'd be like, all right. Okay, fine. (laughs) Psychological thriller it is. (laughs) In defense of Whisper Down the Lane, it's a very scary book, and it's very well done. And I think about that book a lot, especially in corn mazes or whenever (laughs) I see a VHS tape. (laughs) Highly recommend Whisper Down the Lane. Well, Very you good. took you took nacho cheese away from me, damn it! So <laughs> I'm never gonna look at chips and queso the same way. I luckily I didn't like I never liked seafood, so <laughs> I, I can't get mad at you for what kind of mother. I'm not like I'll never eat a crab again. I'm like I wasn't gonna eat a crab to begin with. <laughs> it was definitely safe there, but I'm uh, thinking twice about ever returning to an Applebee's or a version thereof. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> for a. Nondescript, right? A nondescript, fast, <laughs> fast, casual, a non-litigious, uh, no copyright. Yeah. When I'll you're here, you're out. family. <laughs> exactly. When you're here, it's a chain. <laughs> now I know we are running short on time, but I have to ask both of you a very difficult question. What's your favorite scary movie? The Orphanage. Oh yes. Okay. Excellent answer. There are too many, but uh, Black Christmas, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, Session 9, uh, Baba Duke. Uh, there's just like so many. Like dead, <laughs> We talk about Dead Ringers. The, the Cronenberg Dead Ringers was like, eh, that, that one still lives with me. Oh. Baba Duke and What Kind of Mother would be an interesting double feature. <laughs> right? They're very different, but like there's some, I could see the through line there. Yeah. We're going to be doing, you, you're, you just did the ginger snaps, 
Uh, such sharp teeth pairing like you just need to like host a series like curate a series of film and books um, at the local cineplex I would love that everybody come to Rochester (laughs) happily we're all clamoring (laughs) for for that kind of content Uh, we would come to that event Um, (laughs) so speaking of events as you head into the release of these books. I know you're each doing some events for your book tours. Are you each looking forward to seeing some readers out in the wild? Clay, we'll start with you. Totally. I I, I need it. I need to kind of get out of my head and get get kind of in front of some people. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I'll be in Richmond, Virginia for the actual book launch uh, at Fountain Bookstores on September 12th. Um, I'll be in New York uh, at Books Are Magic uh, on September 26th um, and a bunch of different places here and there and in between, but it's going to be a fun, fun fall. And I get to see Rachel on September 19th. Yeah, Clay is um, kindly agreed to be in conversation with me for the launch of Black Sheep uh, at the Barnes & Noble in Tribeca. Um, I have two dates in Massachusetts, the 27th at An Unlikely Story and the 28th at All She Wrote Books. Um, and then a couple of fests and there's another panel in October that Clay and I are both on that I don't think we can announce yet, but got some stuff. It's going to be spooky season. We're really doing it up. I'm excited. Yeah. It's a perfect spooky season combo. (laughs) (laughs) And I will say Clay is an amazing reader. So if anybody out there has a chance to go to one of Clay's events, you have to go. That's fantastic. I just want the moment where you're on a panel or you're at a reading Rachel and that Rachel Weiss is in the audience and you see her from across, (laughs) across the Gulf and you see her in the back and she's just nodding. She's like, yeah, (laughs) like she just does the like the head nod. She's like, like very like withholding kind of like. (laughs) Just one little chin dip. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh gosh. Too funny. Um, and then because I'm going to squeeze every last recommendation out of the two of you, have you read anything particularly creepy or spooky lately? Um, well, I'm going to shout out our friend, Matt Cassidy, who has his book Nestlings coming out on Halloween. Um, and all of Nat's books feel like they have like a classic horror feel to them like reading under the cover Stephen King kind of vibe to them but um he's a totally unique voice it's very fresh and original at the same time um and Nestlings is kind of a modern vampire novel that sort of also got some Rosemary's Baby vibes um and I think it's the perfect read like perfect Halloween treat for yourself so definitely pre-order Nestlings and I'll, I guess I'll go, Nat's book, Nestlings is amazing. Um, but I'm going to go Edenville by Sam Rebeline. Um, it's, it's such a utter, it's just a loopy, insane book that like, it, it's, 
it's funny in this way that's not funny. It's scary, but it's funny. And it's, it's, have you ever read The Library at Mount Char? It, it's one of those kind of undescribable books that like you read it and it, it, there, it defies kind of quick definition. So there's no explaining it, but like the, the kinship of the library at Mount Char is amazing. And uh, yeah, Edenville. Um, it is every first time author's nightmare. Um, and it's got a little kind of uh, New England, uh, Lovecraftian, uh, Stephen Kingian, you know, but, but just there's, it just defies any easy categorization, but it is that shit. Perfect. We love that. And our listeners love good book recommendations. So we'll absolutely make sure to include them in the show notes so that folks can find those books. And to wrap us up, we are going to ask you if there is anything that you are working on that you can talk about so that folks know what to look forward to. Well, I read a uh, Rachel Harrison novel that's coming out in uh, hopefully coming out in uh, fall. I read about <laughs> I can, I can say that my next book is called So Thirsty. It is like a contemporary Selma and Louise, but with vampires. Um, it's a little bit bloody. It's a little bit sexy. Um, and yeah, uh, hopefully out next year. And I don't know how much Clay you can say, so I'm not going to say anything about your next yeah. book but i will say no i want to say that it's good but i feel like as soon as i say that you're gonna be like don't raise people's expectations keep it <laughs> just stop it rachel you gotta stop <laughs> like, getting people's hopes up uh i i can't i don't know what i can say i haven't th- there's a title and there's there's a book um but you have a uh, title did you i do have a title all right you but i don't know i well i i, I mean we have <laughs> a title i don't think it was the title whatever was on that thing okay that you read is not that thing right. we do ha- we have a thing um i don't know i i'm per- terrified that like if i say something they're going to take it all away from me but like <laughs> uh it's a i will say it is a possession novel <laughs> that's i think that's all i'm going to say but it's a yeah it's uh uh i think it's coming out in october 2024 unless i've just utterly poop the bed um and uh but uh that's the hope that's the idea that's the plan one of the most compelling and original possession novels you will ever read you do already got a pull quote <laughs> right yeah right there clip it send it to the editors you two are killing me uh, the, yeah, my so... two of like my ideal types of books to, to read see you next from october you yep yeah. Put it in the calendar and we'll see you guys back here next year. Um, We're actually just going to stay on the Zoom. <laughs> yeah. <this link>. We'll, <laughs> you can watch us work. <laughs> Our hair and nails will be very long, but we'll just be here still. Uh, well, thank you both so much for joining us today to talk about your friendship, to talk about Black Sheep and what kind of mother. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thanks for having us. Now Clay and I can go back to being mortal enemies. (laughs) (laughs) I'll see you on the street, Harrison. (laughs) Don't cross my path. That might make your event kind of awkward, but. (laughs) Just a little. (laughs) Thank you both so much. It's been an absolute delight.
Thank you so much for having us. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.